Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Today is September 8th, 2022. This will be the 242nd episode of Generation Z's Unleashing the Kraken. Sorry for the delay in publishing over the past week, but I personally have been camping. And I actually saw the Aurora Borealis like I have never seen before. So as you can see with uh, this episode right now, if you're watching, uh, you can see that I've changed the camera angle. Let me know what you think. I personally think it's an upgrade. So for today, we have 24 stories to cover. This report will really help lay the groundwork for deepening our understanding of what's on the horizon in the geopolitical world, ranging from Russia to Taiwan to Canada. This will be a succinct episode because I'm going to do another one tomorrow. So it won't be as long as maybe you're getting accustomed to with my own uh, presentation for the Kraken episodes. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get into it. So let me just share my screen here. Okay, so first up, we have from Russia Today. The headline says, Deceiving West and Detached Elites, Highlights of Putin's Speech at Eastern Economic Forum. The Russian president accused Western leaders of hurting their own people through incompetence. Okay, so we're starting with this perspective from Russia Today, where we are literally looking at what RT News is saying that Vladimir Putin has said at the Eastern Economic Forum. Not the World Economic Forum. Don't confuse the two. This is the Eastern Economic Forum. I personally didn't even know that there was such a thing, but it's in its seventh year. So for this first story, we're going to be looking at just point by point that the article is saying that Putin himself has said at the Eastern Economic Forum. So let's get into it. Point number one, the Western dominance is dwindling. The world is facing serious economic challenges, and unlike the impact of the CV-19 pandemic, the current turmoil is the result of conscious decisions made by Western nations. The West caught sanctions fever as it sought to impose its will on other nations. According to the president, though this is nothing new, the current situation is marked by special circumstances. The U.S. is losing its dominance in the global economy and politics, a, quote, tectonic shift that Western elites are not willing to acknowledge. Okay, point number one. Let's let's just go through all of these point by point and see how we feel, what we think, and how we feel about the points that are being made. So, so far, I would agree with that. Western dominance is indeed dwindling. There's been a clear economic shift globally that's going from the West to the East. The BRICS alliance, the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, the uh, Western and Chinese uh, financial payment systems, It's it's been projected for a very long time. And even the World Economic Forum, when they made their predictions in their promo saying that you will own nothing and you will be happy, they themselves said that the US will no longer be the only superpower. Number two, elites are lashing out. West, the quote is, Western nations want to preserve the old world order, which benefits only them to make everyone follow the rules. They invented themselves and which they regularly break or change to their benefit. Resistance from other nations makes Western elites to lash out and take short-sighted cavalier decisions affecting world security, politics, and economics. It seems like that is also happening. Uh, the 
you know, from the Georgia Guidestones to yeah, getting demolished, it seemed like that was kind of a marker to go full steam ahead with Agenda 2030, United Nations uh, Sustainable Development Goals, um, and other plans like pushing the climate uh climate change agenda, the, nat the uh, disasters, the emergencies, etc. Number three, Western leaders are detached from their people. Well, we don't need to even read what uh, he's saying about that, because overall, that sentiment, that seems pretty true. I can't say about the Eastern leaders being uh, connected to their people, but at the very least, the Western leaders are absolutely detached from the people. The West deceives poor nations. Let's see what they say about this. The global economic crisis will hurt vulnerable nations worst of all, according to the president. For many people, it's a life and death situation, and impoverished countries will have no ability to buy crucial products. Now, let's just look at what's been going on in Sri Lanka, as we've been reporting there, and other various nations that have been going through uh, very hard times during uh, that have been really exacerbated through the supply chain shortage and other restrictions from the uh, global health emergency response. Um, so they say that Russia agreed to help ships loaded with grain to leave Ukrainian ports under an arrangement mediated by Turkey and the UN in July. However, most of the ships have gone to EU nations rather than struggling countries. The quote is, just two out of 87 ships were loaded in Ukraine under the UN food program, which works to provide assistance to needy countries, just 3% that were sent to developing nations. According to Putin, Western nations have decades and even centuries of experience in plundering colonies and are using the same approach today. Uh, yeah, we've been reporting on countries returning looted artifacts from archaeological expeditions that colonial powers have taken from, quote-unquote, lesser developed countries. So, yeah, okay, four for four so far. Russia is weathering the sanctions. This is number five. Russia is dealing with the damage caused by the West's economic, financial, and technological aggression relatively well, Putin has said. Uh, he, he's noted that the country's financial system has stabilized, inflation is going down, and unemployment is at record lows. I don't know what's going on in Russia. I'm not on the ground, so I can't say. But from what we've been looking at, from all these different outlets, it seems that Russia is doing much better than the European Union and even Canada and the United States. So that's, we can pretty much say five for five. Number six, Asian nations want cooperation. Most of the nations in the Asia-Pacific region reject the destructive logic of sanctions and seek to foster business ties and economic growth for the benefit of their people, Putin has said. Uh, I can't really say about that, but it seems like it is more of the way of life of the Asian countries not to impose sanctions on other countries. It seems more of a Western tradition, so, you know, very well, that could uh, this could be correct, but we'll, we won't give them the point for that. It's We'll put that as a draw. And finally, number seven, Russia did not start the conflict in Ukraine. This is probably going to be the most controversial of all of them uh, for the fact checkers and the uh, folks that pay attention to the Western mainstream news only. And when asked about uh, comments on the crisis in Ukraine, he reiterated that Moscow... Uh, that the conflict was forced upon it. Quote, we did not start anything in terms of military action. We are trying to end it. 
Military action was started in 2014, following an armed coup in Ukraine by those who did not want normal development and sought to subjugate their own people, carrying out one military action after another and subjecting Donbass citizens to genocide for eight years. Now, those are pretty strong, um, but for anybody that's honestly been paying attention to the global situation, clearly NATO has been expanding and they breached their treaties. And I'm going to have to agree with Russia on this one as well. So now, don't please, I'm not, you know, communist sympathizer. I'm not saying, oh, Russia good, US bad. No, no, no. We're just looking at the literal quotes of a leader of a very well-established country that we need to be more open to and listen to, to have diplomacy and dialogue instead of just reading what the reports are that interpret what is being said that skew it in a certain way to help push a narrative. Okay. So I know that was, that was a long, a long way to start this episode, but honestly, this was probably the most important one of all of them to get into. And this alone would be great if just people that only pay attention to what the Western media outlets say, if they could just hear what is being said from leaders of the other nations, I think that we would be much better off. Okay, on to the next one. from Also from Russia Today. These are the only two RT news stories that we're covering today. We've got ones from all over the world. But European Union's top diplomat would have backed fascists in 1930s Spain, says Putin. Russia's president has responded to Josip Borrell calling his country a fascist state. So the EU's foreign uh, policy chief, Josip Borrell, would have likely backed the fascist coup in Spain in the 1930s, uh, Vladimir said, while speaking at the Eastern Economic Forum in Vlad Vladivostok on Wednesday. And he, Putin went on to question uh, whether Borrell would have taken uh, what side Borrell would have taken if he had lived in Spain in the 1930s and seen the signs of General Franco's coup. Quote, would he take up arms and whose side would he be on? The democratically elected government of Spain or the Putschists? Putin asks. In my opinion, he would be on the side of the Putschists because today he sports just the same Putschists in Ukraine. Uh, so I don't know what a Putschist means, but I guess that is their term for fascist. And he added that the primary source of Kiev's power is the Western-backed armed coup in 2014. Uh, he also went on to say, now this is further more controversial, he supports them, and he would have been on the side of the Nazis back then for sure. That's who is on the side of the Nazis. Now, of course, we've heard Putin say that they're trying to denazify Ukraine, and this could get into a very deep, messy situation, but... Um, yeah, this is a controversial one. I can't say whether I agree with him, but when you look into the uh, history of fascism, when you look into World War II and you look into who actually did support the Nazis, you look at that Russia was clearly against the Nazis. That was part of uh, World War II. Russians lost a lot of soldiers. And not to say that what Russia did to their own people was good by any means, because no, 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 we had huge uh, losses of life. But uh, to compare, yeah, I know it's 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 controversial, but this is probably legit. And uh, arguably, a lot of the current leaders that are at the top of the European Union are probably descendants of people that were uh, directly involved with fascism back then. Um, 
as we see with these bloodlines and lineages and how it's still all in the family and nepotism, all that stuff. Okay, on to the next one from uh, BBC News on MSN. Uh, Ukraine claims resp responsibility for Crimea blasts. Ukraine has claimed responsibility for a series of airstrikes on Crimea after a month of uncertainty over who was behind them. One of the attacks, which took place in early August, targeted Russia's Saki military base and killed one person. Ukraine had refused to acknowledge its role and even blamed them on Russian soldiers' discarded cigarettes. Okay. So that's interesting that they are taking responsibility for this attack in Ukraine. And I wonder if we were to do a um, kind of a catch-up review, which we are due uh, to have one of those on this whole conflict, how much conflict has been allegedly perpetrated by the Russians versus how much has been perpetrated by the Ukraine. Every day when we read the news, it's Russia did this, Russia did this, Russia did this. So... Here's just an example of, well, Ukraine now is claiming some responsibility for what they are doing for uh, the conflict overall. Okay, so on to the speaking of uh, Ukraine. Here we have Biden admin announces $2.6 in additional military funding for Ukraine and Europe. The U.S. has sent a total of $15.2 in military funding to Ukraine since President Biden took office. That's a lot of money. And really, we don't need to get into more on that because that's that's just what it is. Obviously, we have to ask the questions. How's the money being spent? What's it going towards? Who are they giving the money to? Where is the money coming from? What are they spending this money on instead of spending it on their own people? Why are they still doing this? What do they like? It's it's his ongoing conflict. It's It's a feedback loop. It's brutal. Next up from Al Jazeera. Oh, and by the way, that was a Fox News article. So next up, we have Al Jazeera. Biden warns of extremist Trump Republicans that threaten U.S. democracy. U.S. president sharpens his attacks on predecessor with just eight weeks to go before bitterly contested midterm elections. From September 2nd. U.S. President Joe Biden has charged Donald Trump and his backers with extremism that poses a threat to democracy in the United States, urging all Americans to help counter what, the, what he portrayed as dark forces within the Republican Party. In a speech at Philadelphia's Independence Hall, Biden accused his predecessor Trump and those backing to uh, make America great again agenda as willing to overturn they are willing to overturn democratic elections, ignore the U.S. Constitution, and take this country backwards to a time without rights to abortion, privacy, contraception, or same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. Well, this is a messy one, of course, just like the other ones. And it's strange that this is a threat to democracy as we will see there is also there is another article that i've got that is just just keep in mind that uh how biden is warning that the uh, trump is the extremist and uh, threatening us democracy because we've got another another article that we're showing up which talks about another threat to democracy but just before we uh move on from this one didn't they also say that parents speaking up against the right uh, against 
uh, critical race theory being taught in school and stuff about sex education that the parents were considered domestic terrorists and and parents are extremists. So, yeah. Now this article here, we're moving on to this one, and I I <laughs> I found this just over the weekend while I was on my phone and, and just definitely kept this in in my back pocket to bring up because if this is not one of the most blatant, like, I know we started with looking at Russia and their perspective on what's going on. But we have to keep in mind that there is serious stuff going on there. And as this article says, Russian oil executive dies after falling from hospital window, sources say. Latest in the series of Russian businessmen to meet with sudden unexplained deaths. You don't say. Sudden unexplained deaths. Okay. So this is about Ravel Maganov, the chairman of Russia's second largest oil producer, Luke Oil, died on Thursday after falling from a hospital window in Moscow. So falling from a hospital window, I guess that would be one of the most convenient places to eliminate somebody if you don't want it to look like there's suspicious circumstances, but that in itself makes it look like a suspicious circumstance. And not to mention that he is the second largest, uh, second largest uh, business, uh, sec second largest oil producer. My apologies for that little pause there. I saw a breaking news story, which we're going to get to absolutely. And this was going to be, uh, you know, next up like very soon, but we're going to get to that very shortly. So other uh, unexplained deaths from Russia. Uh, other senior executives ties to the Russian industry have died suddenly in unclear circumstances. So we're not going to get into that, but clearly, uh, if you're paying attention, uh, Putin is cleaning house. And anybody that is threatening what his agenda is and what he's trying to do seems to be that uh, you know, just he's got no, no, no tolerance. So obviously what they're doing there is cutthroat and we know that. And it's, it's very concerning, but just what we're doing is putting the perspective of this happening as well with looking at Russia's perspective on how the West is handling things. Okay, so speaking of kind of mysterious circumstances, we have the Emergencies Act. This is in Canada. The Emergencies Act inquiry will be delayed until October due to commissioner's illness. So the inquiry into Ottawa's unprecedented use of the Emergencies Act during protests last winter will be delayed until October because of a health issue. The Public Order Emergency Commission was set to begin on September 19th, but now will be delayed until October 13th. The delay becomes commissioner. Uh, the delay become uh, is occurring because the commissioner, Paul Rouleau, is undergoing surgery. So I mean, just just the timing of that to me is is very sketchy, a little suspicious. Clearly, uh, I would uh, I would presume that the they they need more time to figure out how to get themselves out of this pickle because clearly the uh, authorities have all lied about needing to use the emergency measures. The RCMP never asked for it. The Ontario police never asked for it. The public minister is, has lied uh, in 
in Parliament. The Prime Minister has lied. So clearly, this is just buying them more time. Now, speaking, uh, we're staying on the same tangent as uh, suspicious deaths. The Bed Bath & Beyond executive, Gustavo Arnal, he faced a $1.2 billion stock suit when he plunged from the New York City building. Um, this is from September 4th. Uh, he was a Bed Bath & Beyond executive, and he was facing a $1.2 billion pump-and-dump stock fraud suit when he apparently leapt to his death from his swank 18th floor apartment in Lower Manhattan last week. This is from the New York Post. The class action lawsuit uh, alleges that the scheme was also a classic attempt to spark a gamma squeeze. This tactic relies on the purchase of stock options and was employed during last year's GameStop stock trading frenzy, according to the Motley Fool website. Now, Cohen, who is so uh, Cohen is named as one of the defendants in the class action lawsuit, is the chairman of GameStop. Wow. So remember that whole thing? Uh, I don't really know the details, but that was a big situation with GameStop and shorting and growing the stock market, all those things. So the chairman of GameStop was named in the lawsuit with the uh, with an exec from Bed Bath & Beyond, and then the Bed Bath & Beyond exec kills himself, jumps out of a window. Or was he pushed? Was it a say suspicious circumstance, just like we have the Russian oil uh, tycoon? And of course, when it's from Russia, it's very suspicious. But when it's in the United States, it's totally natural. And as we see this next article, he was already contemplating. Uh, he, he was already considering taking a break from work. So they're already trying to downplay it and say that, oh no, no, it's it's not not that big of a deal. He was just overworked and he was stressed. There's no suspicious foul play. There's nothing to look into. So we're just, you know, part of this uh, episode was is to help show the clear discrepancies and hypocrisy in the reporting of uh, Western news outlets uh, from Eastern news outlets and, and how the narrative is shaped for the West versus the East. Uh, so it okay. The, another article: Blinken makes surprise stop in Ukraine. He announces two billion in additional aid. So this was in addition to, uh, to kind of a, in addition to how Biden they're announcing two point six billion. Well, uh, the Secretary of State made a surprise visit to Ukraine to announce the two billion dollars. It's like okay, um, sure. And then you try to use, uh, and then in the hospital lobby. Blinken also met a patron, a Jack Russell Terrier, who helped, who has helped Ukraine's military find more than 200 mines laid by Russian forces. Uh, Blinken gave the dog a pat and treat, saying the canine was world famous. Now, look at it. This is just obvious, clear PR. They're trying to tug at your heartstrings, say that dogs are helping. Do so dogs worldwide are with Ukraine, is basically what they're trying to say here. If you love dogs, you love Ukraine and you hate Russia. So we'll see how that goes. And then, of course, the hospitals and this classic PR visit. So, I mean, yeah, who knows if this is even a real hospital? Who knows if that's a real dog? <laughs> who don't like are the well, we'll just give them the benefit of the doubt and say that, yes, he's actually in a real hospital and visiting real people. Next up, the U.S. approves potential 1.1 billion weapons sales to Taiwan. Potential sale of anti-ship and anti-air missiles to Taiwan comes amid heightened tensions between U.S. and China. So just like they're trying to stoke the fires with 
stoked the fires of war with Ukraine and Russia. They are stoking the fires between Taiwan and China. 1.1 billion weapons to Taiwan. Again, same questions. Where's the money coming from? Where's the money going? How's it being spent? Why are they doing it? It's This is just absolute insanity. Complete insanity. And of course, the China, uh, China called on Friday for the U.S. to immediately revoke the arms sale. You don't say, especially after Pelosi was just there. Like, yeah, this is only escalating further. And we're actually just going to skip uh, these. Well, okay, UN cites possible crimes versus humanity in China's Xinjiang. This is from CTV News. Uh, we all know about the Uyghurs. And uh, so, of course, they say that China's discriminatory detention of Uyghurs and other mostly Muslim ethnic groups in the western region of Xinjiang may constitute crimes against humanity, the UN Human Rights Office said in a long-awaited report released Wednesday. Okay, so... Just is this going to be tied at all to the Biden family? Because we know that, uh, you know, the Bidens have a lot of involvement with uh, the CCP, just like they have a lot of involvement with Ukraine. Uh, we know the World Health Organization is basically in the payroll of the world. Uh, uh, the World Health Organization is in the payroll of the CCP. So basically, like the United Nations is in a tough spot because they're trying to uh, do the classic PR, social justice warrior stuff by calling out China, but then you've got all the corporations that use China's slave labor. So is there really any merit to this possible crimes? But uh, And then we have from two days later, uh, September 1st, that the UN head hopes China will take on board Xinjiang recommendations. And that the UN Secretary General spokesman says he was concerned by what he read in the report, so who knows? It's just, you know, these are these are less uh, significant than sanctions. They're basically just saying that you're doing bad stuff. We don't approve of it. And, you know, probably nothing is going to happen from it. China's going to reject it and point fingers at the United States and Canada and the Western countries for what they've been doing, their abuse of their own people, specifically what Canada's been doing, the Catholic Church, uh, indigenous people, the, that ongoing colonial cultural genocide. So all these powers, all of these powers are doing terrible things to people. And it's kind of just the way of the way the world works, unfortunately, these days. So on to the this is the so yeah, on to the next one. How first we had the Queen is under medical supervision at Balmoral. This is what I had from BBC News. And then as I am reporting this in real time, Queen Elizabeth, Canada's head of state, is dead at 96 years old. She had been under medical supervision at Balmoral Castle in Scotland. She is the uh, head of state of Canada and the longest reigning British monarch. She has died. She's dead. Wow. Now, what does this mean? What is going to happen? Prince Philip has also died. So what does this mean for all of the Commonwealth? Who is going to take over the throne? Does this is there any indication that the, um, that uh, Canada and Trudeau will try to actually separate from the monarchy and really create their own sovereign state? Will this be a, an emergency? Will they develop new laws to cope with this? Will there be riots? Does anybody even really care? <sighs> yeah. Well, that's. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, deepest console, uh, condolences for 
those that pay attention to the monarchy. And I mean, now I'm sure the world, the conspiracy world is going to go crazy with the reptilian stuff, with the bloodlines, with the royal family actually being um, Nazis. Uh, yeah, we'll just see what comes up with that. Okay, on to the next one. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink vows harder line in bringing workers back to office from September 7th. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink said his $10 trillion investment management company would be taking a harder line as to how we bring our employees back into the office and that having workers in the cubicles is key to bringing down record levels of inflation. Uh, so they have to, we, he says, we have to get our employees back in the office, adding it would result in rising productivity that will offset some of the inflationary pressure. Well, this is interesting that the uh, highest level, the CEO of BlackRock, which is the company that basically runs everything, is a hedge fund that, that, had, that kind of runs the world, uh, after this pandemic of two years of working from home, social distancing, all the measures to reduce the threat of the global health emergency, um, now is saying that we have to get people back in, to work because otherwise, you know, the economy is just going to tank. So we'll see uh, how that handles it. And it's uh, what a kind of what a turn. I do wonder um, what th they thought of when the measures originally were put in place to force people to work from home. Did they support it? Were they against it? Next story. Liz Truss reveals campaign donations of 100,000 euros or pounds, pounds, 100,000 pounds from wife of ex-BP executive. The contributions were disclosed minutes before the new PM announced details of her plan to tackle rising energy bills. Oh, that's nice. That's a nice development. Liz Truss raised raised more than 420,000 pounds in donations for her successful conservative leadership build, a bid with the biggest single contribution made by the wife of a former BP executive. BP, the BP oil spill, the largest single oil spill ever that has that was polluting the, the waters. So... Uh, right before she made her long-awaited plan, to, she announced her long-awaited plan to tackle spiraling energy bills. It came forward that Rishi, uh, oh, sorry, it, it came forward that the wife of James Hay, who has a luxury goods empire and is a former B, BP executive, gifted a hundred thousand pounds to Truss from Fitriana, sorry, Fitriani Hay, the wife of James Hay. So this just goes to show you that um, they're all in bed together. Doesn't matter. Uh, this new Liz Truss, you know, she's from the World Economic Forum. So was the, so was her counterpart. Didn't matter which one won. Uh, I'm sure that BP was, you know, the other guy probably had donations from other elite oil executives as well. And note that it's from the wife of the BP executive. So it's not directly from the BP executive themselves, but their wife. So even just that second degree of separation, they think is enough so that people don't pay attention and don't catch the collusion and the corp, uh, the clear uh, fascist corporatism. Like, 
okay, so if Biden is going to be accusing Donald Trump of the single most threat to democracy and his extremism and and that, you know, he's called them fascist, well, this is literally fascism, the corporations blending with the government officials. That's what fascism is. So, you know, here we have it right here. Next up, uh, TikTok should be banned in every democracy, the media mogul says. Uh, and this was from the boss of the German media conglomerate that owns U.S. outlets like Politico called Tuesday for a sweeping ban on TikTok, arguing the video sharing apps ties to the Chinese government constitute a threat to democratic nations. Matthias Dopfner, the head of Axel Springer, argued that democratic nations are naive and dangerous. So, okay, a few things. First off, banning something in a democracy kind of makes it not a democracy, right? Isn't that, wouldn't that make it more of a, uh, one of those types of governments like Russia where, and China where they ban stuff and you're not allowed to really have freedom? That's a bit ironic. I don't agree with his statement there. Uh, also, Again, what about the ties of the World Health Organization and the Biden family to the CCP? Um, sure, the, the CCP is using TikTok to spy on people. Probably. Um, just like the NSA spying on all politicians all over the world, which is an American secret program. So, yeah, I just find this completely uh, hilarious. Um Probably, you know, we're probably better off without TikTok as a whole, but the, the just the explanation, the excuse that it's a threat to democracy, they're using this stuff, threat to democracy, this, that's a threat to democracy. It's like, what even do they think democracy is? Honestly, like, what do they do? Do we even live in a democracy? What is a democracy? We don't live in a direct democracy because we vote for people to make decisions for us. If we lived in a direct democracy, I, as a citizen, would vote for every issue, and I would be able to decide for myself what uh, what happens if every single issue. That is not the case, because you vote for somebody, and you trust them to make the decisions for you. And probably, these people that make the decisions for you are paid off by corporations to make the decisions based on what the corporations want. So, we live in a fascist, corporatic Corp, uh, let's see, it's a, a bio, let's see if I can remember it, um, technocratic bio-surveillance, uh, technocratic fascist bio-surveillance state, something like that. That's from uh, Unlimited Hangout. That's kind of what they call the situation we're living in. But okay, so I've got five more stories. This may be a little bit of a longer broadcast as I thought. I'm trying to go through it fast, but these are some pretty heavy-hitting stories. So this is actually a very important report in the whole scheme of things. So continuing on, the Extinction Rebellion protesters superglue selves at UK Parliament. The climate change activists also padlocked themselves to gates outside the Parliament building, saying we, can we cannot afford to carry on like this. Well, I'm pretty sure that we actually reported on articles that the uh, oil industry was funding the climate change activists just like we saw Liz Truss of uh, the United Kingdom talk about some energy bills that are going to be passed when she actually is being financed by BP. So 
the the oil industry, the the elites that control that side of things are still controlling this renewable energy movement, the green movement, all of that stuff. Um, but hey, I agree with this message. Let the people decide. Citizens Assembly now. I guess that's an hourglass in that circle. I wonder if that's some alchemical symbol, though, as well, esoteric or occult. But yeah, on to the next one. The White House vows to tackle sexual assault in military amid the rise. A Pentagon survey released this week finds that reported sexual assault cases in the U.S. military increased by 13% in 2021. I've never been in the military. I haven't served like that, so I can't really comment. But there absolutely are a lot of reports of sexual assault in not only the American military, but the Canadian military as well. And I genuinely wonder what they're going to be doing. I mean, we know that the military of the United States has kind of taken a shift. They're they're kind of at a shortage for uh, recruits. They're focusing more on politically correct people and inclusiveness. So I wonder if that is having a trend in uh, either upward or downward with these sexual assaults. Obviously, don't like I don't understand why people assault others. That's its own you know, messy, scary topic. Obviously, it's real. It, it absolutely happens. So we'll just stay tuned to see how the military responds to this. Yeah. Next up, uh, we're ending on some uh, CV-19 and uh, Canada news here. And I saved the CV-19 for kind of last because we're all, all, of course, tired of hearing all about that. But this one, is from Al Jazeera, saying a completely new COVID strain possible in the winter, says the European Union Drug Agency. And that's all we're going to get into on that, because not surprised they are saying that at all. Next up from CTV News, the experts predict a massive eighth wave after Ontario lifts its COVID isolation rules. Well, yeah, the, an infectious disease expert believes Ontario's decision to lift COVID-19 isolation rules will trigger a massive eighth wave as children head back to school next week. Um, I think that the censorship of talking about these things is getting more lax because there's actually been lawsuits uh, and people are be just it, things are getting so absurd with the same narrative. So it's like, who is this infectious disease expert? Where is he from? Who funds him? He's from Queen's University and the University of Toronto. Um, obviously, children going back to school, it's fall. It, people are going to get sick before all of the global pandemic. It was called flu season. Um, yeah, uh, we know that the advisory board folded. The Ontario government scrapped it. And that was probably for the better because they were giving, they were going to try to push more ludicrous restrictions. Um, but that's really all. And an eighth wave, aren't the vaccines safe and, and primarily effective? Because if they're effective, how is there an eighth wave? Oh, it's because there's aren't there aren't as many deaths, right? That's why. There aren't as many deaths as there would be which is why they're effective. 
except we know that the deaths are still going up. So what's the reason for that? Oh, that's climate change. Climate change is giving people random heart attacks and other spontaneous diseases or facial paralysis like in Justin Bieber's situation. Okay, so our final three articles. Um, Bank of Canada takes to Twitter to set record straight on printing money claim. <laughs> As the Bank of Canada tries to rein in red-hot inflation, the central bank is engaging in another fight, one against misinformation. In recent weeks, the central bank has been using social media to engage the public on the economy, explaining how inflation works and what it's doing to bring inflation back to its 2% target. However, in its most recent Twitter thread, the bank went beyond explaining economics and took direct aim at a common attack levied against its policy decisions against the pandemic. Quote, hashtag, you asked us if we printed cash to finance the federal government. We didn't. Quote, says the Bank of Canada, tweeting on August 25th. The only people who pay attention are insiders and market experts, and that's the and that's usually the only people that they have to talk to, uh, Gordon said, who is a, an economics professor from Laval University. Whereas uh, conservative leader, front leadership frontrunner Pierre Polyevre has been a loud critic of the Bank of Canada, vowing to fire Governor Tiff Macklem if he became Prime Minister. Polyevra has not explained how he plans to fire Macklem, given the Bank of Canada does not provide the federal government with that power. He's also repeatedly claimed that the central bank printed money to finance federal spending and therefore caused inflation. However, the Bank of Canada and economists say that's not what happened. Quote, there's always been this expression of the bank printing money whenever they engage in these kinds of policies, but it's not actually what happens, said Jeremy Kronick, the director of monetary and financial services research at C.D. Howe Institute. The policy Kronick refers to is quantitative easing, a measure the Bank of Canada attempted to explain in a series of tweets. Quote, we bought existing government bonds from banks on the open market. Why? This helped unblock frozen markets at the start of the pandemic. If it let households, companies, and governments access funding when they really needed it, one of the tweets said, we did not print cash to pay for the bonds. The thread went on to say, however, sometimes referred to as quantitative easing, QE is a relatively new tool used to keep money flowing when interest rates are already hovering around zero and can't be cut further. It garnered worldwide attention when it was used by the U.S. Federal Reserve in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis. So, sure, they might technically be right that they, they're not printing money, but it all goes back to that money fundamentally at this date doesn't exist. It's all digital. They buy the bonds from the they basically buy the bonds from the government and then like these yeah I, i'm not an economist i can't explain it i don't have it right in front of me but if you're interested we could do a deep dive on that i did it for the patreons for our members a couple of months ago looking at the macroscopic instant financial institutions that run the world bank of canada is itself a pretty sketchy institution it is not uh, so much like the Federal Reserve. And even though it's called the Bank of Canada, it's not a part of the Canadian government. It's a side, uh, it's like a, it's a quasi branch of the Canadian government. Whereas the Federal Reserve in the United States is a complete private entity that literally does print money. 
and that's and then they give the money to the United States, but they do this exchange of bonds, and they've been doing that for a very long time, since at least like 1913, 1917, something like that. But I find this hilarious that the Bank of Canada is on Twitter to say, we do we are not printing money. Stop saying that. Stop saying that, you independent researchers and people that are actually paying attention to us. We don't like it that you're scrutinizing us and you actually are looking at what we're doing and trying to hold us accountable for the state of the Canadian and global economy. That was just my impersonation of Bank of Canada. Next up, uh, the second of the last... Is this even uh, the last one? Oh, yeah, this is actually the last one for today. Environment Canada says online reports of climate pol police are false. Ministry says purpose of enforcement office has been mischaracterized. So just like the Bank of Canada is saying, no, 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 we don't print the money. The Environment and Climate Change Canada is responding to online reports. It says are falsely accusing the ministry of recruiting officers to police climate change. The record needs to be set straight, they say. The tweets also addressed claims about a replacement facility for environment enforcement officers in Winnipeg. So... They're talking about the counter signal, which is, uh, according to CBC, a far right publication. The new office will feature a firearms armory interrogations room, biological labs and controlled quiet rooms. The article included blueprints showing areas labeled firearms storage, intelligence and controlled quiet. So this is interesting because you have the surface level story, then you have the second level story, and then you have the third level story. So this is what dark journalist often refers to as uh, like the X, the, the X factor or the third level story. So it's like very well that first off, Environment Canada, probably lying. Second off, the counter signal article is probably control opposition or something like that. And it's reporting some legit misinformation to confuse the people. And then now they go back and say it, and they probably are having, you know, creating a new branch of environment enforcement, which, as they say, dates back to 2008, um, which talks about a job ad entitled Enforcement Officer Environmental Pollution Enforcement Development Program where our enforcement responsibilities cover more than 60 regulations. So clearly they are actually putting more money into enforcing certain climate rules and to make sure that corporations are towing the line with the green agenda. But the uh, far right outlet of the counter signal, I don't really know much about them, but they could be exaggerating the story. They could be deliberately putting some misinformation there so that the people that only pay attention to the counter signal are, you know, up in arms and very upset about what is going on there. Whereas it may not be as serious as we think it is. But um, this is just to, uh, and as this article is saying, how conspiracy theories are manufactured. Um, and yeah, like it's, you know, they, they're not wrong with saying this how conspiracy, conspiracy theories are actually manufactured because conspiracy theories are a term that was made up by the intelligence agencies 
to dissuade people from actually looking into and understanding what happened with the JFK assassination. So the conspiracy theories are manufactured, but we're at a point now where these are conspiracy facts and they are just straight conspiracies. When we talk about the deep state, the intelligence uh, that are uh, influencing things behind the scenes, the military psychological operations, the corporations that are funding politicians, you know, none of that's, you know, a made up story. That's all conspiracy, but not conspiracy theory. Okay, so uh, there we have it. This was our segment of Unleashing the Kraken. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I was pretty fired up and passionate about this. It feels really good to be back. And hope you all have a great day. See you all very soon. Uh, leave your comments below. Let me know how you how how we're doing. Follow us at uh, Generation Z slash Patreon for more of our work from behind the scenes that we can talk about, where we go deep into the aliens, the intelligence side of things. And have a great day. See you all soon.